Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. When we think about Revelation, it is often a difficult-to-understand book about the future. However, if we understand the coded message, we see that it is in fact a book about today rooted in the past. You're listening to In the Courts of Heaven by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our scripture reading tonight is uh, from Revelation 4, the entire chapter, which isn't overly long, only 11 verses. And my goal tonight, and I do this, we do this sometimes at evening services, just to take a, a difficult passage of scripture in a difficult book of scripture and try to make it a little more clear for you. Let's listen to Revelation 4 in this vision of the throne in heaven. After this, I looked... This is John, he's having his vision. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard was speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was the throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald, encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne, there were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass as clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. So reading the book of Revelation is uh, a little bit like, reminds me of uh, the cryptic crosswords that my dad likes to do. I'm sure some of you are into crosswords. I'm sure, I know you've all done crosswords. And some of you are probably pretty good at crosswords. You can do pretty difficult ones. And I'm pretty sure that all of us could do even simple ones if we had the clues and the time. We can plow through a crossword. My dad, however, is into something called cryptic crosswords. And even people who are really good at regular crosswords struggle with cryptic crosswords. That's because the clues are so unusual. The clues have a language all their own. Unless you can decode this language, you will get nowhere with a cryptic crossword. Let me give you an example. This is a real example from uh, the Toronto Globe and Mail, which is the paper that he reads that has these cryptic crosswords. He's a real clue. Policeman shows signs of nervousness in church. Six letters. 
Policeman shows signs of nervousness in church. Six letters. Any, any takers, girls, any ideas? No? You should, yeah, give up. It's, 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 it's um, yeah, there's no point. The answer is Coptic. Coptic. Okay? Policeman, cop. Signs of nervousness, a tick. In church, Coptic church. Okay? I hate my dad's cryptic crossers. <laughs> I am terrible at them. I am no good at them. He, on the other hand, is, is, is quite good at them. He's very persistent. What's happened is that he's learned the language of the clues. He reads the clues and he immediately sort of understands what these clues are getting at and he can get to the answer because he's learned the language of the clues. There's a similar dynamic in the book of Revelation. For those of us used to the regular books of the Bible who can read a gospel story or gospel teaching and kind of get it, even those of us who read Paul, and Paul's hard, but if we work at it, he's logical and we can follow him and we can get there. Even those of us who work through those books, when we come to Revelation, often feel utterly perplexed, like we're reading something cryptic. But there is a way through. If once you learn the language, once you get the code, once you understand the mode of address, there are treasures to be had. Not only is the book of Revelation cryptic, it's cryptic for a reason. Right? Cryptic crosswords are just cryptic for fun. That's not Revelation. Revelation is cryptic for a reason, and the reason has something to do with this. Here's an analogy. In World War II, after France fell, so this is like 1942, um, the British, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, used to broadcast uh, radio programs over to the mainland, to France, across the English Channel. And in those radio programs, they would have messages for the French resistance. There would be encoded messages for the French resistance so that the fighters knew what to do. And these messages would say things like this. John has a long mustache and he takes his tea with honey. Which sounds utterly nonsensical and you can't hear anything being communicated in it. But the French resistance knew the code and they could read those clues and they knew what to do and knew what the British were saying. But they could understand those things while the Germans couldn't. Something similar is happening in the book of Revelation. When God gives this vision to John, he's doing it in an encrypted way so that the people of God, the church, people who know the Old Testament, can understand what's being communicated. But the people of Rome, who are already against the church, couldn't figure it out. So tonight, I want to try to unpack the cryptic vision of Revelation 4 with you. And as we do, I think you will find that there is a message about weakness and there is a message about strength. First of all, there's a word about strength. In the days when John saw this revelation, when people thought of strength, they immediately thought of Rome. Rome was the most powerful empire that anyone had ever seen. There was no part of the world that these people knew that was not under the boot of Rome. Whatever Rome wanted, Rome got. And if you stood in their way, you were in big trouble. Just a few years before Revelation was written down, the people of Jerusalem found out the hard way. Jerusalem tried to rebel 
against Rome, tried to stand up to some of the rules. The, the, the soldiers came in and they absolutely laid waste to the town. They tore down the temple and burned it. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, the wailing wall, that busted down wall, that's what's left over from what the Romans did way back in A.D. 70. No one stood up to the power of Rome or you died. And now this imperial power had set itself against the church. At first the church was tolerated, but now it's started to become a nuisance and Rome has started to lean its energy towards pushing away the church and faith in Jesus Christ. And to these people under the pressure of Rome, this is a cryptic message of hope. For example, the image of the throne of God in our passage is a challenge to the authority of Rome. The imperial throne room in Rome would have been the most glorious thing in the land, would have been thought of as the highest authority, whatever was decided in that throne room about boundaries, about who lived, about who died, who went into captivity and who got to stay home was decided in that court and felt absolute. But in this vision, John shows the people a different throne room. With a more glorious throne, lightning and thunder peals come from this throne. There is a rainbow around this throne, and the one who sits upon it has the appearance of jasper and carnelian. Rome may look majestic, but that courtroom has nothing on the throne room of the living God. That image of the throne is a challenge to imperial authority. The picture of the 24 elders around the throne is also a direct challenge to imperial authority. Roman emperors would have 24 bodyguards. A scholar named David Allen has studied this. Roman emperors would have 24 bodyguards. Proconsuls, who were high up in Rome, would have 12. Kings, like King Herod, would have 12. Emperors had 24. So this vision in heaven of the 24 thrones of these elders sitting around the throne room of God is a direct challenge to the authority of Rome because these 24 elders are not regular bodyguards. They are angelic beings commanding an angel host. The 24 elders are a challenge to the authority of Rome. And finally, the words of praise offered to the one seated on the throne are also a challenge to Rome. According to David Allen, same scholar again, when the emperor went places on feast days and when he arrived, he was always greeted with acclamations of praise, which we still do today, right? If the queen were to come in, we would say, please rise for her majesty, the queen. And at the State of the Union, how do they, how do they always start it? They always say, um, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, right? There's an acclamation. Well, it was the same thing for Roman emperors, only it was taken up a notch. When the emperor would come into the court for a festival, the crowd would say, worthy, worthy are you, Lord Emperor. And there were other acclamations. People would call him, holy one, glory to you, Lord Emperor, salvation belongs to you. Righteous are your judgments, O Emperor. You are worthy to receive power. And finally, as part of the cult of emperor worship, people would call him Lord and God, Lord of the earth and Lord of the world. And when you know that, 
all the acclamations that are given to the one who's seated on the throne in heaven suddenly take on a new cast. These are direct challenges to the authority of Rome. When the 24 elders say, Lord, you are worthy to receive honor and glory and power, it is a finger in the eye of the emperor. So for Christians struggling against imperial power and trying to make their way in the world, these three visions, this code would have been a strong way of saying, don't worry about the power of Rome because there's another throne, another king who has a hold of you and you serve him. This vision can empower us too. We are not under the kind of persecution that the Roman church was under in those days. We are not being directly challenged yet by laws as the Christians in Roman times were. But there are other courts that hold us in subjection, like the court of public opinion. The court of public opinion is a powerful court and it has its judgments and its judgments are not always in line with the judgments of the one who sits on the throne. I remember when I was in the Canadian Naval Reserve. Yes, Canada had a Navy. And yes, I was a part of it, briefly. I was in the Canadian Naval Reserve. And it was sort of a program for youth. I spent an entire summer with 18, 19-year-olds learning the ways of the Navy. And it was a very diverse group, right? Uh, it was in a town where weren't very many Christians. So most of the people I rubbed shoulders with were not church people. And we got along fine. We had good time and made good friends. But I remember one time we got into a discussion, and it was me and another person and we both said, yeah, we're, we're, we are saving ourselves for marriage. We are not going to have sex before marriage. This is, yeah, that's what we believe in. We're going to save ourselves. That's what we believe. And everybody else looked at us and said, you are out of your mind. What is the matter with you? You're crazy. Why would you do a dumb thing like that? They said. The court of human opinion passed judgment, and we were guilty by reason of insanity. But I felt okay about my position. Because every single week, I was with my family, standing before the throne of God. And though it wasn't necessarily easy to hold that position, I felt I knew pretty well what my God wanted, and I was grounded in that. It's good to keep your eye on the throne room of the king. This vision isn't just a word about strength and where it truly comes from. It's also a word for our weakness. Because often, the threat is not the powers out there, the threat is the weakness in here. And frankly, honestly, I think the threat of the weakness in here is greater than the threat of the powers out there. And for that, there's a couple of images for us. First, there's the rainbow around the throne. How do we decode, what is the meaning of that rainbow that's around the throne of God, all right? Where does the rainbow show up in Scripture first? Even you guys know that. It shows up at the ark after the flood. And the rainbow is a sign that I will never send a flood again. I will keep my covenant as long as the earth endures. I will be faithful. It's a symbol of God's faithfulness to his covenant. Rainbow shows up one more time in the Old Testament. Do you know where that is? Ezekiel. The vision of Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel sees the throne room of God. And here's what he sees. Ezekiel 1, 28, when he finally sees the throne, he says, 
the, appear, that the, throne, the one on the throne had the, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. Ezekiel also sees this rainbow around the throne. Now, when was Ezekiel written? During the exile. Ezekiel's in exile. Ezekiel is written at a time when Israel thinks its sins, its failure, its weakness has completely ruined the covenant. They have failed the Lord. The glory of the Lord's left the temple. The country has been destroyed. Everything's lost, and it was because of them. It was because of their sin. But right at the beginning of his book, when Ezekiel shows that rainbow, he's saying, nope, the covenant is not lost. You were faithless, but God was faithful. You fell, but God did not. You sinned. God shows mercy. Now, again, to a people under stress, to a people wondering if God has abandoned them as the persecution starts, God shows John the rainbow and saying, no, my covenant, it's still in place. You are still my people. Don't be afraid. One more image to decode. The sea as clear as crystal. The sea of glass as clear as crystal. What is that about? What does that mean? What's that code for? Well, where is John when he receives this vision? He's on an island, right? The island of Patmos. He's a prisoner there. So what would the sea mean to someone who was a prisoner on an island? It was the bars of his prison. So when he looked around and saw the, the waves of the sea, the roiling sea all around him, that was a symbol of, of hopelessness, of what trapped him. And that completely fits with the way the sea is in the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, the sea is a symbol of chaos, a symbol of trouble. Save me, O Lord, for the waters have come up to my neck. So from our perspective, our troubles are like this raging sea. From John's perspective, literally, his troubles around him are like this raging sea. But this heavenly vision gives John another perspective on his troubles. From the perspective of heaven, that sea is smooth, as clear as crystal. You could canoe across it if you took your time, no problem. And it wasn't opaque, holding all sorts of fearful, fearful mysteries underneath. It was as clear as crystal. You could see all the way through to the other side. From the perspective of earth, our troubles seem overwhelming. From the perspective of heaven, they're as clear as glass. And in Jesus Christ, they've been taken care of already. So this message from the throne room of God is full of hope for God's people yesterday and today. And let me note one more thing. Often when we read Revelation, how do we think of it? We think of it as a word about the future, right? That's what we think. It's all about what's going to happen in the future. But listen to Revelation 4. Is it a word about the future? I mean, partly, but it's mostly a word about right now and God's faithfulness right now rooted in the promises of yesterday. If you want to read Revelation... And people get this wrong. When they come at it just thinking of it as a future book, that's not the right code. Some of it's about the future. Some of it's about the present. All of it is rooted in the past. It's rooted in a God who is our help in ages past, 
our hope for years to come, and the one who walks with us right now. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this, this wonderful visual book, so confusing but so full of riches. Thank you, Father, that we were able to sit for a moment before your throne room and see in that place your strength, your power, and your promises. And know that whatever we face as we go out there this week, that we are firmly held by you. Lord, help us to go out with that assurance as we do your work this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.